Hello and good evening. This is Father Kelly sharing with you day three of my pilgrimage. Uh, again, forgive me if the volume is strange. I don't have headphones to listen with, so I'm doing my best to keep it at a good volume and respectful of my hotel neighbors who are probably asleep. So, I said, like I said, it's day three, even though day two of recording, because day one and two was all travel and hardly seemed like, well, it didn't have the usual one-day characteristics. But today, day three, was a proper, normal day. So I got up uh, remarkably well, despite less than six hours of sleep last night. Uh, but I think I was you know, satisfied with my work and had a, a well-organized mind, if you will. So sleep came easily and was very restful. Went down to breakfast, had a hearty breakfast of mostly mysteries. Um, you know, in some parts of the world, there's like one thing for breakfast. America, we have a few things, you know, variations on pancakes and eggs and bacon and such like that. Um, obviously no bacon here, uh, but so many things. I, I genuinely don't know what they are. Um, lots of fruits and vegetables and uh, things that look like hummus, but then there's the hummus, but there's like five other things that look like hummus, but they aren't because they're different things. Um, innumerable dishes and plates and bowls and uh, little tins of stuff. I think I found some yogurt and some granola and um, some fruits that made sense. Uh, but I would need weeks to try it all. I, I can't believe they served this much food, this much variety of food for a hotel breakfast. Anyways, I ate what seemed like good things and we hopped on the bus. Went up to Caesarea Philippi, which is quite a ways up, as in north. Um, later we will go up to Jerusalem, which is the place you really go up to, because it's, quote, the highest mountain. It's not, but it's the most important place. So you always go up to Jerusalem. But we also went, in an American sense, up north to Caesarea Philippi, which is uh, far outside of the usual area of Galilee. In fact, most pilgrimages don't go here. Um, but at least Catholic pilgrimages should, because it is the place where Jesus declares Peter to be the rock upon which he will build his church. Now, in doing this, Jesus is doing what he sometimes does with uh, using the visual imagery of the place to make a point about what he is saying. So, uh, Caesarea Philippi is this very large, probably, I don't know, 300 foot high, 200 foot high uh bare rock cliff face at the base of which is a large cave opening which has uh, slightly below it now uh, water flowing out and now back in the day in jesus's time in the time of the and he took the apostles up there this would have been a rather large uh, pagan shrine a, a pagan vegas even perhaps when there was uh, lots of sacrifices and festivals and um, music and who knows what else probably lots of illicit things going on uh, so Jesus took the disciples up there, which probably seemed very strange to them, and there he uh, told Peter uh, that he was the rock upon which he would build his church, but he is, and, and that the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. This works very well because again you have this large rock face, and in the rock face was this cave, which was part of a uh, pagan sanctuary, and they called it the gates of hell. So. Uh, and it's this again this this big place of uh, pagan sinfulness and vice, and so Jesus makes a very substantial point here that 
Peter is not only the rock upon which he will build his church, he's not, he's, he is the one upon which he is founding uh, this new faith as its shepherd, uh, but also that this new faith, uh, this actually a continuation of the Jewish faith, a, a fulfillment of it, uh, will be that which defeats, which stands above, which has power over this evil that is happening here. Uh, Jesus very clearly uh, is telling us and at the same time the apostles that you are part of something that is bigger than what's happening here, that is bigger than uh, the rest of the world's sacrifices of animals and that sort of thing. Uh, He is doing something beyond the normal. And it's even more uh, descriptive in that uh, this place, this, the, the, lowercase god that they worshipped here uh, was Pan, the one, you know, little goat who plays the flutes. Um, you know, goats, shepherding, shepherds. So the fact that he made Peter the rock and also the shepherd of the church in this place. Again, it's just one more way that, that the Lord is showing that uh, the church is above these things. That Peter is the new shepherd. He is the one who is uh, replacing, uh, not Peter isn't replacing, but Jesus is replacing uh, the gods of the old world, that he is the God, capital G, who is above all of these things and who has power over all of these uh, pagan and demonic things. Uh, so it's this very uh, significant location that surely would have made a profound uh, impact on the apostles. Le- me moving on from there, uh, from the, the flowing waters in the caves, there he went, uh, can you up the hill, which is different than I did last year, uh, last year we just went back to Galilee, but this year we kept going up uh, into the mountains a bit more, and I got to a high point, you might say, on on the back side of the Golan Heights, uh, the very edge of Israel, where we could look out over into uh, Jordan and Syria, uh, which are not uh, countries that are happy with Israel, that none of the three of them get along, uh, but for our purposes, we went up there not to admire the current political geography, but to observe the valley where uh, St. Paul was on his road to Damascus. So, of course, we don't know the exact location, but somewhere along the road, which we could see in this valley, is a place where uh, St. Paul was knocked down by a blinding light, uh, heard the voice from heaven commanding him to go uh, to wash, and then, of course, St. Paul is baptized and Saul becomes Paul, and it becomes the great apostle of the Gentiles. So we're able to view this valley where he would have been on his way, and then he goes down and uh, begins his life as a Christian missionary. Next we went down to the area of the multiplication of the loaves, a place called Tagba, where Jesus multiplied the 5,000. Sorry, he he didn't multiply the 5,000. He multiplied the fish and the loaves to feed the 5,000. And um, the he asked the disciples to uh, take care of the people, and they say, yeah, "We don't have enough." He said, "Well, what do you have? The lo- two two fish and five loaves." And so, but again, they're like, "How could this be enough?" But Jesus, uh, in his care for the people and his showing of a miracle, multiplies the loaves to feed them all, with of course plenty left over. If you go in the church, there's a very beautiful mosaic in the floor that shows a. So a basket with two fish and four loaves. Why four? Even though the parab- or the, the event in Scripture clearly has five loaves. It's because this, this mosaic is on the floor in front of the altar. 
And so the fifth loaf is the word of God himself, is Jesus in the Eucharist on the altar, the bread of life. And so the simple mosaic in the church reminds us that while the multiplication of the fishes and the loaves was a physical miracle that uh, showed Jesus' love for the people, it was only a symbol of a greater feast to come where Jesus gives us his body and blood in the Eucharist that is the greatest meal there could possibly be, there could possibly be the one the one meal that feeds deeply and truly and can never be uh, replaced by anything else the meal that is beyond everything else because it, it is a divine meal returning to the world of normal meals we moved from there to a, a little guest house and had uh, Peter's fish uh, which well most people had Peter's fish. I had Peter's fish last year, so I didn't have it this year because it is a whole fish, deep fried, and, you know, fins, scales, eyeballs, everything. And you have to sort of deconstruct the fish to eat it. It's an experience you should have, but I think once was enough for me. So I ordered just the fish fillet so I could, you know, eat lunch normally and enjoy it. It was enjoyable last year to have the fish as the whole fish as it came out of the water, but I was content to have only had that experience once. Uh, but the striking thing from this lunch was not the fish that I had, but I ended up sitting next to uh, our one of our guides, you might say, for this pilgrimage, Cardinal Burke, and I don't have much to say to Cardinal Burke, I suppose. Um, I sort of vaguely know who he is, but uh, it was strange to sit next to him and kind of hear the... Uh, sort of insider, quote, church opinions, which, honestly, I don't like this kind of fishing that goes on in these situations. It it happens whenever there's, you know, someone important around. People ask, oh, well, what about this thing that I already know how you're going to answer that, but I want to hear you say it. You know, I want to kind of get the inside church information, which is a natural thing to do. I'm not condemning necessarily. Uh, you know, if you're sitting next to a politician at some, at some fancy dinner, you're going to probably, you know, ask the congressman, ask him or her about American politics. So if you're sitting next to a cardinal, I tried not to, but you know, you get in the conversation about church politics of the day, which I'm not going to get into, but it was sort of an odd situation to be next to someone who knows quite a lot. Uh, next, we moved on to the Mount of Beatitudes, which is just right up the hill. Um, all of these places, the multiplication of loaves, and the place we go next um, are all just right in there with each other. You could walk to them probably 10 minutes apart. You know, as Americans driving everywhere, we forget just how close everything is. So up to the Mount of Beatitudes, where, of course, Jesus gives his perfect sermon, if you will, uh, the his listing of the Beatitudes. And the Cardinal gave a wonderful homily, uh, basically outlining not outlining, it's already outlined, it's the Beatitudes, but emphasizing that the Beatitudes are the way to authentic human happiness, that living out the Beatitudes is how we be happy. That is what life is supposed to be, uh, difficult though they may be. And they are difficult, so it requires the very first one to be poor in spirit to live out the rest of the Beatitudes, you can't do the other ones unless you are poor in spirit, which in this case means being humble enough to make the genuine effort to live this way. You know, Being poor in spirit means humbling yourself to say, okay, 
the Beatitudes are difficult, but I'm going to make my effort to live this way and trust that if I do, the Lord will pour out happiness upon my life, even if it's not, you know, what the world thinks is happiness. Next, we took a brief stop to a church called the Primacy of Peter, which is where, uh, after the resurrection, Jesus first, uh, Jesus, not the first time, but Jesus greets the apostles, uh, I think it's the third time, uh, it's the disciples have gone fishing because they're being ridiculous, they've gone back to their old fishing of fish, and Jesus shows up on the shore cooking cooking a charcoal fire, ch- cooking fish on a charcoal fire, uh, and reminds them, no, brethren, you are fishers of men. And it's here that uh, Peter is, you might say, allowed to make his reprofession of faith, where it's the, you know, do you love me, feed my lambs? Do you love me, tend my sheep? Do you love me, feed my lambs? And Peter is, in a sense, received back into being the prince of the apostles after he had so foolishly uh, denied Christ before. Uh, something I hadn't, that our guide pointed out this time that I hadn't heard before was that if you notice, Peter's in the boat, lightly clad. He sees Jesus, and he puts his clothes on and then jumps in the water. And that could be interpreted as a reference to uh, the Garden of Eden, when after Adam and Eve having sinned, God comes to look for them, and they realize they're naked, and so hide themselves uh, before eventually speaking to God anyways. Likewise, Peter Noticing it's the Lord, realizing it's the Lord on the shore, is suddenly ashamed, recalling his sins, his denial, and hides from the Lord in the same way Adam and Eve desired to, and but of course eventually meets the Lord face to face, and in this case is uh, reconciled and re-received. After that, we went to Capernaum, a town just on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Again, all of these things just literally a few minutes bus ride apart. You could walk there easily. And Capernaum is the town where Jesus spent a good amount of time. He taught there, he stayed there, he preached there in the synagogue, uh, he healed many people. And it's important because it's a major trade route. There are lots of people passing through Capernaum, lots of you know buying and selling and people passing through from, from places south and places north. Um, it was a very uh, hotbed of activity, you might say. And so a natural place for Jesus to be preaching and doing things so that a word of him would spread far and wide. Uh, the church there in that in the middle of the ruins is built uh, over what is Peter's house where he would have staying. It's his mother-in-law's house. Uh, many things happen there, including the uh, situation where Jesus is inside teaching and the friends of someone who is in need of healing lower him down to the roof. And so I thought that was a fitting place uh, to have offered my prayer intentions that all the all the prayers that people have asked me to bring in this pilgrimage I offer them there in that church uh, right above the place where this healing of the paralytic took place uh, many of the prayers are about such things uh, so it seemed a very fitting and holy place to offer specific intentions that people have entrusted to me to you might say lower down to the Lord on this pilgrimage uh, another uh, cardinalate reflection <laughs> poor guy uh, he can't go anywhere without being stopped. Everywhere we went, uh, people, of course, recognize him because he's you know, wearing the cardinal red, or at least his zacato, not the whole cassock. He was wearing a black cassock. But still, he was recognized, and people would stop and talk and take pictures and ask for blessings. So, you know, pray for cardinals. Pray for 
people like that in the church because obviously he's very gracious, but I'm sure it's tiring to, to everywhere you go be recognized like that, you know, like happened to Jesus. Uh, then we, uh, after that, that was our last stop of the day. The group uh, gathered for some ice cream uh, at the end, at the, not convenience store, at the gift shop sort of thing outside. That's kind of our first slow moment for the day, a little bit of time to hang out and chat and relax before having, instead of having, instead of having to rush back and get on the bus to kind of de- begin to decompress for the day. We go back to the hotel. I slept a lot along the way because, you know, I was doing well after only my minimum sleep last night, minimal sleep last night, but after a long day, it, it catches up with you. Get back to the hotel. I read very graciously about LSU winning the national championship football game. That's good to hear. Good to get some, uh, you know, diversity in college football. Catching up a little bit on the world, but not too much. And then took a very awesome nap and a hot shower. Wonderful after a long day of on and off the bus and pilgrimaging. Um, and then went down to a lovely dinner. Again, a lot of mysteries, a lot of food that I didn't know what they were. Try to get them out of them. I, I found some beef and some chicken in there, some good vegetables, lots of other stuff too. I'll never get to try it all though. After dinner, read some letters from a friend that I hadn't opened yet. Received some Pierre Giorgio prayer cards in there and some uh, little motivation for campus ministry, which I wasn't expecting. I have no idea how long how long ago this uh, envelope of holy cards was mailed with Pierre Giorgio's picture in them. But it seemed very fitting to have opened them today, despite being over here, because this evening, um, what is it? See, it's four o'clock now in Oklahoma. So here in a couple hours, there will be our first college student evening mass going on. And Pierre Giorgio is the patron of our house we have next to campus that will soon be open. So it seemed very fitting and sort of a an affirmation that um, Pierre Giorgio is a good patron to be having for our college students. I read some philosophy, a book that I brought with me, which seems uh, like a disconnect rather, but it was a relaxing thing in a way to to engage the intellect in, in a different field, but it helps me to um, kind of focus on what's happening here to get keep the brain going, keep it, keep it um, focused on something profound and intellectual. And then I came back to my room, did the writing for this day and uh, the recording for this, which almost didn't happen, but... Perhaps by the grace of God, here I am. I uh, went out for a little walk after writing my notes, and it would have been, I almost said to myself, you know, I'll just uh, I'll just go to bed. I'll do it in the morning. I know damn good and well that wouldn't happen in the morning. I know it wouldn't. Often I have done this exact thing where I've gone, oh, I'll, I'll do it later. Usually recording my homilies. Never happens. But by the grace of God today, even though it is now six minutes past midnight, and I, quote, should be in bed uh, I'm glad I took the time to record, and hopefully again I have another good night's sleep, having processed the day, cleared my mind. I know that I've prayed well today, um, so thank you for listening. Uh, please pray for me, pray for my college students, uh, pray for, even though you don't know what they are, for all the intentions that I brought with me on this pilgrimage, uh, because as I've said many times, it's a great blessing to be able to offer these prayers on pilgrimage, and pilgrimage prayers are some of the best answered prayers there are. So uh, please pray for me, our continued safety, uh, and thanksgiving for those who made this trip possible. And uh, I look forward to sharing with you what the other days, what the future days bring. Thanks and God bless.